Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadika. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program where on Wednesdays we get together to support, encourage, and motivate each other in our meditation practice. We do either breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation, and we rotate these each Wednesday. On Sundays, we do a talk on one of the chapters in this book. This past Sunday, we just covered chapter 14. But this coming Sunday, we will be in chapter 15, which is titled True Love, Love Without Attachment. This is where I'll be discussing how to cultivate true love in our relationships and learning how to love other beings without smothering and sabotaging our relationships, essentially crushing them through having attachment in our relationships. So we'll be doing that on this Sunday. But this past Sunday, we were talking about the Brahma Viharas, which are loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Today, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation because this is how we cultivate loving kindness in the mind is through meditation. But then we practice loving kindness in daily life through our intentions, speech, and actions. And this is how we transform the mind away from hatred, anger, and ill will and start practicing loving kindness is through developing and cultivating this in meditation, but then practicing it in daily life through all of our intentions, speech, and actions. And we see our relationships really blossom. Our personal and professional relationships start to really grow and evolve as we can start functioning through this loving kindness through our intentions, speech, and actions rather than have our intentions, speech, and actions emanate from a polluted mind filled with hatred, anger, or ill will, or any of the lesser versions of that, like frustration or irritation or annoyance and things like this. So I'd like to welcome all of you to our class today where we're going to be joining each other for meditation and I'll be guiding you through how to do loving kindness meditation. Just as a reminder, the way that we do this is we start with chanting Then we move into breathing mindfulness meditation just to kind of prepare the mind and kind of do that for maybe five or ten minutes or so. Then we move into loving kindness meditation and we do this with affirmations. We start with may I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. This is the affirmations that we repeat in the mind on the out breath. And I'll be guiding you guys in that as we get going in our meditation. Then after loving kindness meditation, we're going to do breathing mindfulness meditation again. So we move back to breathing mindfulness meditation just to clear the mind and ensure that we 
empty out any kind of arisen anger, hatred, or ill will that might have arisen during the meditation. Because oftentimes when we're doing this meditation and we're cultivating these rings and expanding these rings through various people or groups of people that there is hatred, anger, ill will for, oftentimes that can arise in the mind. So we finish up our loving kindness meditation by doing some breathing mindfulness meditation on the backside. Then we finish out with the chant and just kind of ease the mind out of meditation through chanting. And then I'll open up for any questions that you guys have related to loving kindness meditation, breathing mindfulness meditation, or truly anything along this path whatsoever. The way that you ask questions is you put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. And when you put those into the comment section, our moderator will see that and be sure your question gets asked. And if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions that you like there. So before we actually start our meditation, let me just pause and see if there's any questions that we might have in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom before we actually get started with our meditation. Last Sunday, you defined loving kindness as an act of goodwill. So, in some situations, it's not easy to decide which option will be the best one or will be the one in which we are practicing loving kindness. So, for example, if you have five choices, uh, five things to choose between them, knowing that some of these choices are better than the others, would you choose the best ones for you and not care about those who will come after you? Or you will choose the low quality ones and leave the best ones for others? I'm not sure that I fully understand what you mean by, okay, we have five different options and choosing the best option and leaving the other ones for some other people. What do you mean by that? Actually, a when let's say that now you are riding a bus and you see that there are some empty chairs some of these chairs will be in sun let's say that now we are in summer so some of these chairs will be in sun those who will sit on these chairs will not be at ease with sitting on these places and you can see some other chairs those who are uh, those which are in shade you will choose the best ones for you or you will choose the others not not caring for those who will come after you. I see. Okay. So it's important that you understand that we're not able to have a pre-planned, pre-prescribed decision tree about what we should or shouldn't do in any given situation. Because if we try to have this pre-prescribed plan, that means we're thinking about the future. We're making a decision now and we're trying to hold that true in the future, six months from now or a year from now. That would be clinging to your decisions. That would be clinging to your volitional formations. You're not making a wise decision in the present moment. So a person who's functioning with a higher consciousness, a more awakened, more enlightened mind, we reside in the present moment with our mind, we take in all the information that's around us, all the variables, and then we make a decision in that moment. So. I can answer your question for you in a theoretical sense in terms of right now, but you shouldn't take this answer as if this always applies permanently because it's not possible to do that because of the universal truth of impermanence. Everything's constantly changing. So we can't come up with a pre-prescribed list of saying, 
well, I would always sit in the sun or I would always sit in the shade because this can't be true permanently because all the variables are always constantly changing. And what we need to do is we need to reside in the present moment, looking at all this, the variables and then make our decision at that point based on the situation at hand. So what you're describing in terms of sitting on a bus and maybe sitting in the sun or sitting in the shade, if there was all these seats open, then to show loving kindness to this being that we call David, all these different seats are open. I'm going to sit in the shade because that's good for this being called David. And there's all these other seats, including more seats in the shade and more seats in the sun. But as this bus fills up, if I observe that there's people that are able to benefit from this seat and maybe a pregnant woman or maybe an elderly woman or a handicapped person or something like this, and I observe that I can either switch to a seat in the sun or I could just stand and not even need a seat at all, then of course I would look at doing that. See, that's based on right now at this moment, at this age, and just thinking about this theoretically. But also say I was with my elderly grandmother or say I was with a pregnant woman or say I was with a handicapped person or a young child. That's where the variables are always constantly changing. So it's wonderful that you're thinking about something like this and geez, thinking about loving kindness to the point where you're willing to sit in the sun and leave seats for other people. That's outstanding, Bossom. That's like really reflecting on this and trying to figure this out. But what I would suggest for you and caution you is not to try to come up with all these pre-prescribed ways of functioning and decisions to make and then attempt to hold those to be true three months or six months or even three hours or three days from now because what a being that has a higher consciousness is going to do is they're just going to function in the present moment they're going to understand the teachings they're going to understand the wisdom they're going to understand what they're attempting to practice and what they're working towards and then whenever they're confronted with a certain situation they're going to make whatever wise decision is best in that situation and we can't possibly know all the variables right now to know what would be the best decision in the future because even with your example say those seats with the shade have exhaust fumes coming in from the bus and the seats in the sun don't right so if we try to come up with all these exact parameters that we're going to somehow practice in the future even three hours or even three minutes from now then this is going to burden the mind and hinder the mind because now we're clinging to our choices and decisions which is going to cause discontentedness it's much wiser to just reside in the present moment and make wise decisions based on the unique situation that we're faced with very wise and loving picture thanks no more questions for now okay so let's go ahead and prepare for meditation as i mentioned we'll do chanting breathing mindfulness loving kindness breathing mindfulness and then chanting some more so go ahead and make yourself comfortable with your lower body and your hands and arms. And then remember that upper body should be nice and erect. That's what keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. This allows you to access the mind and do the actual work, applying the effort to cultivate loving kindness and eliminate the anger, hatred, and ill will. Next, just close the eyes. We're going to bring our hands together at our chest 
and start with the chanting that I've taught. If you don't know this chant, you can just sit and just breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. But otherwise, you're welcome to join in with this chant and then afterwards I'll provide some guidance for meditation. So take in a nice deep breath. Arahang Sammasamoto Mahakawa Potang Mahakawan Hang Apiwate Me Sawakato Mahakawata Damang Namasami Supatipano Mahakawato Sawakasanko Sankang Namami Napmorasa Pakawato Arahato Samasaputasa Napmorasa Pakawato Arahato Samasaputasa Napmorasa Pakawato Arahato Samasaputasa Itipiso Mahakawa Arahang Samasamoto we cha charanang samuno sakato roka vito anu tero purisa dama sati satatawa manu sanang Oto Pakawati Just easing into meditation. Start breathing in through the nose. And out through the nose. Taking a nice natural breath, breathing in gradually through the nose and exhaling gradually through the nose. Breathing in.
and out. Breathing in and out. Now that you have the breath established, start focusing the mind on the breath. The sound of the breath breathing in through the nose or the sensation of air moving into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in and out. With the mind fixated on the breath, observe any time that the mind is off the breath. With mindfulness or awareness of mind, when you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go. Come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in and out. As the mind wanders, having thoughts, ideas, perceptions, feelings, as you observe this, you haven't done anything wrong. This is just the mind not being interested to stay in the present moment. It's just undisciplined, untrained. So as you observe the mind moving off the breath, cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath. The breath is our focus this is where we're fixating the mind to develop singleness of mind or concentration. Focus the mind on the breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. 
mind's going to want to wander off the breath. This is completely normal. But more and more you observe that sooner and sooner. And then more easily let go and come back to the breath. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work to focus on the breath. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Focus on the breath. Breathing in. in out breathing in in out
Continue to breathe in through the nose. And out through the nose. You develop whatever pace of breathing that you like. Your breathing isn't going to sync up exactly to the guidance that I'm providing. But whenever you get to the next out breath, repeat this affirmation in the mind. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May we be safe. discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May my family be peaceful.
may they be safe. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Friends, be peaceful. May they be safe. free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. whom I've never met before, be peaceful. May they be safe. Be well. 
be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be safe. beings be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Continue to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Fixate the mind on the breath. Whenever you observe the mind is not on the breath, cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath the present moment, breathing in and out.
would like to slowly ease out of meditation as you guys are making your way out of meditation I would just like to remind you that these rings that we do during class are very generic rings based on me guiding all of you guys in loving kindness meditation but when you do loving kindness meditation on your own you should customize this for your specific needs people who are currently in your life that you would like to support and encourage and continue to develop loving kindness for, you should include them either as individuals or groups of individuals. And then individuals that you have trouble getting along with, that you're challenged with, that you have perhaps anger, hatred, ill will, or lesser versions, you would like them to show up in this meditation as well because you need to transform your mind to now have an interest in seeing those people be peaceful, be safe, be well, and be free of discontentedness. This is what's going to transform your anger, hatred, and ill will into loving kindness that you include in these rings, customized rings that are based on the individuals that you're having challenges with. And knowing that that anger, hatred, and ill will is coming from your own mind. It's coming from your own craving, desire, attachment. So you're working on that with breathing, mindfulness, meditation, and generosity. But you're also working to transform that anger, hatred, ill will, and all the lesser versions by cultivating loving kindness and meditation and then practicing it in daily life. It'll be much easier for you to have wholesome intentions, speech, and actions with the people that you currently have anger and hatred for when you're cultivating loving kindness for them in meditation. Because as long as we allow this anger, hatred, and ill will to reside in the mind, our speech and our actions and all of our mental conduct, it's going to be polluted with these feelings of anger, hatred, and ill will. But when we can transform that, then now our intention, speech, and actions can emanate from a wholesome root of loving kindness. And that's what you would like to get to. That's where you're going to see the improvement in your relationships. That if we harbor this anger and hold on to it, it's just going to continue to motivate unskillful conduct. So by us transforming this in meditation and then practicing in a way where we're polite, kind, friendly, and respectful through our intention, speech, and actions, now our relationships really transform. So just keep that in mind to customize this for your specific needs. I just do a meditation that's really applicable to all of us as much as possible in these classes. So I'll just pause here and see if you guys have questions that you'd like help with. 
either on loving kindness meditation, breathing mindfulness meditation, on chanting, on any aspect of the Eightfold Path or the Four Noble Truths or anything along the path to enlightenment, you're welcome to put that into Facebook, YouTube, and Zoom. Our moderators will see that and then make sure your question gets asked during the class. Or in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any question or follow-up question directly. Well, sometimes uh, trying to include some individuals into the rings of loving kindness meditation, uh, even the attempt to think of these people, just this attempt arises anger in the mind. So how to include such people in this meditation? Yeah, the, the problem isn't necessarily that the anger has arisen. The problem is, is that there's craving, desire, attachment in there. And then this anger, you know, really festers. So if anger is going to arise about these individuals in these relationships, we would like it to happen when we're all by ourselves and we can deal with that. And we're not going to have unskillful intention, speech and actions. So if we're meditating and anger arises in meditation, okay, that's fine. That's what's happening. At least we're not harming anyone because of that anger. It's just all contained in the mind. So now when it arises, now we're dealing with it through meditation. We're transforming it through meditation. And now we'll be more able in daily life when we're interacting with that person to now have loving kindness. The way that I think about this is it's like we've been sweeping the dust under the carpet for so many years related to so many relationships and so many challenges that we have. And oftentimes when we go into meditation or we dive into these teachings, it's like pulling the carpet back and all the dust flies up in the air. Well, nobody likes it when all that dust is flying up in the air, but what would we like to do? We would like to get that dust out of this house. We're not interested in having that dust in the house. So the problem isn't that we pulled back the carpet and the dust is all flying around. That's normal. That's part of the process of getting all this dust out of the house. The bigger problem would be is if we tried to keep it contained under this carpet and we didn't pull it back. So when we're meditating, we're pulling back the carpet, all the dust is flying around, and that's where the meditation, that's where loving kindness and breathing mindfulness meditation is there for you in order to help you to get all the dust out of the house. And it's not going to happen, as you guys know, in just one session or two sessions or even 20 sessions. As you've heard me talk, you know, I had a lot of deep-rooted anger for my mother as I was growing up. And when I started meditating, it took me a good six months of just constantly doing loving kindness meditation to transform that and then transform it in daily life too and start interacting with her in a different way. And by the time she passed away, we had a very wonderful relationship. We had a very lovely relationship, but our relationship wasn't like that growing up and throughout my early adulthood. So when we kick up the dust, that's wonderful. The mind's not going to like the change. It's not going to like the dust flying around. But the bigger problem would be is if we just kept piling it up and piling it up and putting it under this carpet. So oftentimes, in order to get to a better experience, we kind of have to walk through the fire in order to appreciate the fresh air on the other side of the fire. The bigger problem would be if we avoided this and we didn't do loving kindness meditation and we just tried to avoid it. This would be aversion trying to push it out of our life and just bury it. That's going to continue to eat at us. So 
as you observe any kind of anger or anything that arises during meditation, remember the tools that you have as the entire Eightfold Path, including meditation. And that's why we put that breathing mindfulness meditation on the backside so that if any anger arises during meditation, then we've got that breathing mindfulness meditation to let it go, let it go, let it go before we come out. And in these classes, you know, I tend to do kind of like a 30 minute meditation with our chanting and all the other things that we do. But there's no limit to that. You know, if you'd like to do a good 15, 20, 30 minutes of breathing mindfulness and a good 15, 20, 30 minutes of loving kindness and you need a longer part on the backside, you know, feel free to do that. Or if you do five minutes of breathing mindfulness going in, you do a loving kindness and you realize there's a lot of anger floating around, then maybe you need 20 or 30 minutes of breathing mindfulness on the backside of your loving kindness meditation. So you adjust that as you need because this is your practice your own individual independent practice. What I do here in these classes is provide you guidance, introduce you to all these tools, but then you use these tools to the best of your ability. And then as you need help, you seek help and seek guidance to let me know where you need help. We have a question on YouTube from SS. How do we deal with people who intentionally deceive us, harm us, or take away our money? Such action, actions, especially deception, has happened many times with me, and it creates distrust and anger. Yeah, what tends to happen in our life is we keep experiencing these same situations over and over and over again until we build the wisdom that we need in order to ensure that doesn't happen any longer. So if you're experiencing this over and over and over in your life, that means there's something you're doing that's causing this to happen. I know that might be challenging for you to hear because when somebody steals from you, you feel like it's not anything that you've done, but there's warning signs that we experience in relationships when we first start having relationships that oftentimes we overlook because we're so excited. We're having these pleasant feelings of these new relationships. And when someone kind of lies to us here or lies to us there, or we see them treat other people aggressive or harsh here or there, or we see some things that are unwholesome here and there with other people, we tend to overlook those early in our relationships because we're just so excited to be in the relationship and having a new friend or a new partner. But it sounds like there's things that you're overlooking with the people that you're involving in your life. Because if you understand the five precepts, then what the Buddha taught in terms of the five precepts and using the words of the Buddha, because I don't recognize your, your name, I don't think you've studied with me before. If you look in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment, Volume 1, it's downloadable for free. You can get printed copies or you can go print it yourself. You can see the words of the Buddha in there. The five precepts aren't don't kill, don't steal, don't have sexual misconduct, don't lie, don't have intoxicants. These are very rudimentary translations and they don't reflect what the Buddha was actually teaching fully. So if you look in chapter seven of this book, you'll see the actual words of the Buddha and he fully explains these precepts really clearly for yourself, for your own practice. But then as other parts of his teachings that you'll see in this entire book series, he talks about cultivating wholesome friendships and comrades and companions and ensuring that by doing so, your friends and associates aren't smearing you. 
like a snake moving through feces. The snake might not bite you, but it's smearing you with its feces. And the Buddha talks about developing and cultivating wholesome friendships in a way to ensure that you have wholesome people around you. Because if you're moving towards the light to enlightenment and you would like to ensure that you're practicing in a way that moves to enlightenment, you have to be able to make wise decisions about who to involve in your life. As long as you're overlooking some of those early warning signs of people that are in your life and you allow people that are doing unwholesome things to get close to you, you're going to experience deception and people stealing from you and unwholesome conduct because you don't have the wisdom of how to choose who to be in your life and who not to be in your life. So by you cultivating the wisdom of the Buddha on this path to enlightenment for your own practice, then you'll understand this natural law of gamma and the natural laws of existence as a whole, and you'll make wiser decisions about who to involve and who not to involve in your life. Not that you are judging other people or you look down on people or you think people in bad ways, but there are certain decisions that we make about who we involve in our life. And if you're observing that people are constantly deceiving you, constantly stealing from you, these are all things that you must be missing in terms of wisdom to understand how to cultivate wholesome relationships in your life. And the only way for you to develop that wisdom is to learn and practice the entire path to enlightenment as a comprehensive practice. So if you go to buddhadailywisdom.com, there's a button for free books and you can download this first volume and just start with that. The predecessor to this is an audiobook format. There's also classes that I've taught each individual chapter. There's podcasts, there's personal guidance. I'm willing to help you with all of this. You just need to do the work to decide that you're done with all of these challenges and all these problems and all these struggles and that you would like to fully move forward with learning the path to enlightenment. And you've got someone here that's willing to help you with all the resources and guidance that I can help you with. So my suggestion would be for you to attend these classes regularly on Sunday and Wednesday and be sure that you're reading this book, tracking along in this program so that you can fully cultivate the wisdom of the Buddha. So if one if someone deceives us, asking for our rights, does this go against loving kindness towards those people? Asking for what? Our rights. Uh, what do you mean by asking for our rights? A, um, a filling a complaint against those people who took our money or deceived us. Oh, I see. So if somebody steals from us, if we report them to the police, is this going against loving kindness? I see. Okay. So loving kindness and compassion doesn't mean that you're passive and that you're complacent and that you allow people to just do anything that they want and walk all over you and steal from you. Oftentimes, the most loving, kind, and compassionate thing you can do is report someone to the police because that's part of their gamma. That's part of the results of their decisions. If someone's stealing and they get reported to the police, this is the results of their decisions. So loving kindness means that we have active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, that we have a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. And compassion is that we have a concern for the misfortune of others. One of the stories that I tell people is how growing up, 
my uncle, who isn't that much older than me, he's about 13 years older than me, he used to get in all kinds of trouble and my grandparents would bail him out of every single situation. And now at the age of 60, he's still living at home and he has constantly had troubles and challenges all throughout his life because he never had the opportunity to gain the wisdom of how to resolve his challenges because every time he fell and, and had troubles, his parents, my grandparents, were there to catch him and solve all of his problems. So he never developed the wisdom that he needed. Anytime he got in trouble with the police or anything else, they always bailed him out and used their money in order to fix the problem. Me, on the other hand, when I got into trouble, my mom and my grandparents were like, you figure it out. You know, they didn't say that, but they didn't show up to bail me out. I had to figure all that out on my own. So I struggled and I had difficulties and I experienced the results of my decisions in a very challenging way. And I realized that as I made these unwholesome decisions, I was going to get into trouble and that there wasn't anyone there to help me. I needed to help myself out of this hole that I had dug where if somebody like my uncle, for example, just kept getting bailed out and bailed out and bailed out, he just kept getting in trouble his whole life because he never learned. What he learned is when I get in trouble, my parents are there to bail me out and I get off scot-free. What I learned is when I get in trouble, it's really hard and very difficult and I've got to dig myself out of this hole and I don't enjoy digging myself out of holes. So if somebody steals from you, not reporting them is oftentimes not the best thing to do because they're not going to fully experience the results of their decisions. But by reporting them to the police, that can oftentimes be the most loving and kind thing you can do because now they're going to fully experience the results of their decisions if the police investigate this and get evidence and maybe they go to court, maybe they get on probation, maybe they go to jail, all of these things. But you just have to be able to do that in such a way that you know that you're protecting your own being, that you're not compromising yourself. But in oftentimes, like I said, reporting someone to the police can oftentimes be one of the most loving, kind, and compassionate things you can do because now they're going to experience the full breath of the results of their decisions. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Arabas, she has a question. She says, Sure, David, can you please suggest how to begin learning the chanting? Thank you. Sure. What I would suggest is, it sounds like you haven't participated in the four-part series of the classes that I taught, and that's all been recorded, and there's a playlist on YouTube. So if you use that playlist, you can go through the four-part series and you can either do the one that I just taught in this recent program or you can use the one from last program. Either way, they're very similar. And what I would suggest, I don't have one handy here with me, but in the Facebook group, I have a one-page sheet that you can print out that's like a little cheat sheet of the, of the chance. It's front and back. So now with the classes where you'll hear me gradually walk you through the chants and learning how to develop them. And then you've got this cheat sheet that before and after your meditations, you can be chanting before and after. And then sometimes you might be interested to just work on chanting that, you know, maybe you are doing it before and after meditation, but maybe sometimes in the middle of the day, you just get inspired and you're just like, hey, let me go in here and spend five minutes or 10 minutes just doing some chants. 
And sometimes I would do that. And, and when we do the chants, we usually just do one time through. But what I would do when I was practicing chanting is I would do the same chant maybe three, four, five, six, ten times. And I would just work on the chants over and over and over again outside of the meditation. And that will help you develop the chants. And I've heard you chanting those other chants that you've learned. It sounds like you've already got an acumen for it. And then something you can also do is, you know, not only watch those videos, not only use the cheat sheet, not only do specialized training sessions just for your chanting, but even in the in the normal part of your day when you're maybe out and about, you're walking down the street or maybe you're in the shower. Uh, I used to chant in the shower a lot because the acoustics are really good and it really makes you feel like, wow, I can really chant because uh, I can hear, the, you know, the, the, the sound gets more full and it really motivates you and encourages you to hear those acoustics in the bathroom. And sometimes I would even go in the bathroom and actually practice chanting, even though I wasn't taking a shower. I would just go in the bathroom and take advantage of the acoustics. Or if I was walking somewhere, like in a tunnel or in a mall or something, or in a staircase and there was a lot of acoustics, I would just start chanting and kind of uh, use that here and there. So those are all ways that you can kind of incorporate it into the normal patterns of your life. And then once you develop this practice, as you know, it, it really feels really beneficial that you've got something that you can do, whether you're on vacation anywhere in the world, whether you're at home, whether you're traveling somewhere, you have this nice practice that can ease the mind into meditation and ease it out of meditation. And then as you need help, I know you've scheduled a personal guidance session with me. As you need help, you can do that too. Schedule those personal guidance to help you with your chanting and I can listen to your chanting and kind of give you little pointers here and there. Well, on Facebook, we have a question from uh, Barakshit Bhante. The affirmation in the loving kindness meditation, we should do only during out breath. Yes, I suggest that you do this on the out breath. And the reason why is because you're directing your loving kindness outward. Right. I mean, it is something you're cultivating in the mind. But when you think about your family or your friends or your life partner, or your children or your neighbors, may my wife be peaceful. Right. It's directing that towards a person. You're not trying to change them. You're trying to change your mind. So I do it on the out breath so that I can feel that loving kindness coming out, because when you're involved in a conversation or you're interacting with that person you would like your loving kindness to be going outward towards them so doing that in meditation will really help to cultivate the loving kindness and the directing it towards them now there's some people that have told me that they feel like they need to breathe in as they're thinking of the affirmation if, and if you try to do that you you can try that if you like i've never done it that way i've always done it as breathing out this is where you can test it, right? You can see the truth for yourself and independently verify this. You can do like a week or two of breathing out and see how that feels over the, an entire week or two and see what kind of transformation you observe about the mind. And then do a week or two of doing a breathing in and see how that feels. And then you know the truth for yourself of which one works best. This is how you independently verify the truth. You don't believe what your teacher says. I'm sharing that it definitely works better for me breathing out. And that's the way that I've always done it. But don't believe that. 
right? Don't believe it. You do it for yourself. Do it breathing out for a week or two. See how that feels. Do it breathing in for a week or two and see which one works best for you. Then you'll know the truth and you'll have wisdom. Well, helping others to learn about these teachings, that will, of course, help everyone who is interested to learn. So in terms of this, is there a way to help someone who is insane, mad? And before this, do you consider someone who is mad or insane that he or she still has a consciousness? So if somebody is what I would consider to be insane or mad, this is like someone maybe going through psychosis or something like this. Yes, they still have consciousness. As long as this physical body is alive, there's consciousness there. In terms of whether we can help them or not, it depends on how much aptitude they have for learning. I know that in situations where I experienced psychosis, there's no amount of the three universal truths, four noble truths, eightfold path that would have gotten in, right? Because during psychosis, your mind is just just blown away, you know, and it, it just requires a lot of medications in order to kind of bring the mind back to kind of somewhat of a normalcy. And then that's where you have the aptitude of learning. So however we define that word of insane or mad, what it really comes down to is an aptitude to learn and learn, reflect and practice because the number one problem that's keeping the mind in the unenlightened state is ignorance or unknowing of true reality. And the only way to transform that is wisdom. The only way we get to wisdom is that we learn, reflect and practice to independently verify the teachings and see the truth for ourselves. So if this insane or mad person has an aptitude to learn and take in information, reflect on it, and then practice to see the truth and can independently verify the teachings, then yes, this insane person, this mad person can surely learn and can truly evolve. This type of person may even just be interested in starting with just something as simple as meditation. Maybe we don't talk with this person if their mind is you know, really far away from being able to learn. Maybe we don't talk about the three universal truths and four noble truths with this person right up front, which is what I will typically do with the average student. Instead, maybe what we do is we just start with some breathing mindfulness meditation, and that's the best way to help this person and just help them develop that part of their practice first. So this is where a teacher's guidance is really important. Somebody who understands these teachings and has experience working with these teachings, that each individual student is, is very unique and very different. Each mind, while we function the same in terms of the natural laws of existence, each student is starting on this path at a different place. People have had prior training and prior experiences. The level of pollution in the mind is different for each person when they start this path. And a well-trained teacher should be able to observe the condition of their students' minds in such a way that they're able to then offer guidance and offer suggestions and help them along the path, meeting that student wherever they are. So the teacher, if they're not attached to a specific way of teaching and doing things the same way with every student, they should be able to meet with a particular student, understand their challenges, and then meet that student wherever they are. And then with the teacher meeting that student wherever they are, then they can gradually guide that student closer and closer to enlightenment. Sometimes the teacher has to walk 95% forward, meet the student at that 5%, and then gradually help them 
move forward. Or sometimes students are further along in their development, not as much pollution, and the teacher meets them somewhere else. So with a patient teacher who's very close to enlightenment, they should be able to understand the student's mind. If they are enlightened, they should surely be able to understand the student's mind and be able to meet them where they are and help them in whichever way is best, either starting with meditation or starting with some other type of learning and practice. Does this mean that, that some individuals, some practitioners with a mind which is very polluted with a lot of cravings and ignorance, that there is no way for them to learn and practice these teachings? There's a way, craving and ignorance, while the mind might be heavily polluted with craving, anger, and ignorance, or unknowing of true reality, everybody's born with craving, anger, and ignorance. We're all born with extensive amounts of that, so to speak. What it really comes down to is one's aptitude to learn and their dedication, their determination, and their diligence. We can't force others to learn. It's impossible to force someone else to learn. Everybody has to choose to step forward and bring the teachings into their life. These teachings aren't pushed into people's life. Instead, an individual practitioner needs to pull them into their life. And that's how someone makes progress. So just having a lot of craving, anger, and ignorance, there's plenty of people in the world that have lots of craving, anger, and ignorance in the world. And that can all be eradicated. But if they don't have an aptitude to learn and there's not determination, dedication, and diligence to pull the teachings into their life, those people aren't going to be successful. There's nothing we can do to push teachings onto someone or force someone to attain enlightenment. Even if we could force someone to attain enlightenment, I wouldn't even be interested in doing that because, well, it's just not possible, but even if it was possible, I'm just not interested in doing that. So each individual has to choose to step forward and walk this path themselves. That's the only way this works because there's a million and one decisions somebody has to make in order to get to enlightenment. Think of all the times that you choose to sit down and meditate throughout the weeks and the months and the years. All of those are individual decisions that each practitioner is making on their own. Think about all the times you pick up a book or listen to a video or listen to a podcast or ask a teacher questions or all these other decisions that you have to make constantly and continuously on an ongoing basis to make your way to enlightenment. There's no way to force somebody to make those decisions. And the only way that this really works is for somebody to choose to make those million and one decisions on their own. And that's how somebody will actively progress to enlightenment. Many thanks, teacher. No more questions for today. All right. Well, thank you all for joining for today's class. As you know, we like to get together on Wednesdays and Sundays for this group learning program. On Wednesdays, we do meditation, either breathing mindfulness or loving kindness meditation. And then on Sundays, we do a talk on a chapter that's in this book. Right now, this group learning program, this week we're in chapter 14, but this Sunday we're going to be in chapter 15. So if you'd like to prepare for class for Sunday, you can read chapter 15 before class, after class, or before and after class. This chapter 15 is all about true love, love without attachments. This is where we're going to learn how to not sabotage our relationships, how to not crush them. Because this is one of the biggest challenges in life is having relationships and having loving relationships. Because we oftentimes misunderstand love 
in the unenlightened state. What we think love is in the unenlightened state is actually craving, desire, attachment. And this is why some people feel that love hurts and love is painful. But love actually isn't painful when you understand what true love is. Craving, desire, attachment is the painful feelings. That's what's causing the painful feelings, not the love. When we understand what true love is and we hold that up and we start practicing that more and more, we can get rid of this craving that's causing the painful feelings. And now we can practice true love and we can have very fulfilling relationships with everyone around us. But until we understand this wisdom of how to practice true love, then we're just going to continue to struggle and have difficulties in our relationships. So this chapter 15 is dedicated to helping you understand what true love is so that you can clearly see that and get rid of this craving desire attachment that is burdening your relationships and making it a real struggle and really difficult to have personal and professional relationships. So we'll talk about that on Sunday. And then next Wednesday, we're going to do breathing mindfulness meditation together, just a session of breathing mindfulness meditation. So have a very lovely rest of your day. As you need help, I'm always here to help you. We'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.